I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, artist, and former owner of the New York Sharks, Andra Douglas. Her new book is Black and Blue, Love, Sports, and the Art of Empowerment. No one knows better what it's like for a woman to break into a traditionally male sport than Andra Douglas. As the quarterback and owner of the New York Sharks professional football team, she fought for the opportunity to play football from her earliest days growing up in Central Florida. In her book, Andra Douglas talks about how she overcame countless personal and financial sacrifices to achieve her dream of playing football. A native of Central Florida and a graduate of Florida State University and Pratt Institute, she's been a national champion athlete in rugby and women's tackle football, a vice president slash creative director at Time Warner, and has founded a nonprofit to benefit at-risk teens. She's currently focusing on her mixed media artwork. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Thank you, Catherine. Happy to be here. Okay, so your new book, Black and Blue, as I understand it, is based on your loosely based on your own on your own story. So I get we should yes. start with that. Growing up, a Southern girl in a Southern town in Florida, women don't play football. Women don't play a lot of sports, right? Especially team sports, right? And if they do, it's not yeah. taken seriously. So let's start from there. Well, you're right about taken seriously. I mean, I have always found that women are, uh, uh, you know, oh, aren't they cute? They want to play football or, you know, things you know, things like that instead of saying, hey, this, this kid is really great. Um, and I think the reason for that is there's really no outlet for women to go after, you know, childhood, really. Um, they might go on now. Now there's more opportunities. There's basketball. Um, now there's football. But you still can't get paid well in those sports. Football, not at all. Basketball, you know, moderate. Um, so uh, growing up in the South, I think that was pretty much the theme. Um, so it was a struggle to, you know, to do what I wanted to do and be who I wanted to be, which is even more important. So when did you know, what, uh, talk about the struggle, how did you, how old were you, I guess, you know, were you in elementary school when you realized, hey, I want to play football, I want to be on the team or the same team the boys are on, but I can't, and people are telling me, who's telling you no, your parents, the school, how, what, at what um, age, and what happened? Well, you know, Florida is such a big football state, so it just came naturally. Everyone loved football. The high school team, there was the college teams, uh, the, the Miami Dolphins, um, so it just came naturally. I didn't realize that I, you know, couldn't play for the Miami Dolphins when I got older until, um, for instance, I wanted to play on the boys' peewee league and was all excited to go down for tryouts. And then all of a sudden, well, you can't. And well, why? Well, because you're a girl. So, and you know, it just it just became this this pattern and this theme. No, you can't because you're a girl. Um, this was in the the 60s and 70s, so it was even more uh, back then than it is today, of course, but um, it was uh, it was a discovery, and I guess I was probably, I don't know, around 10 when all of that uh, message came at me. So um, I guess it's psychologically, or just how did that affect you? Because they're telling you, no, you can't do it. You know you want to do it. I mean, that's frustrating, and obviously it's... Very. Then you're not, yeah, and then you can't compete because you haven't been playing, I would assume, Right, right. Uh, you know, I would have to go and watch uh, the boys' games and know that I could beat them. I was better than them. 
Um, and then I had to endure the, the little girls cheering, which is what they tried to push me into, which I was adamant that I was not going to do that. And uh, it, was a, it was a struggle. It really did, uh, it, it affects your psyche when you're, you, you know you're better than someone and you want to be out there with all your heart and just because of societal norms, you can't. So it's uh, it is a, it's a it's the struggle is real as they say. <laughs> struggle it definitely was real, and um, I think we're still obviously still struggling today. Um, well, yes. you mentioned it. Yeah, you just mentioned it. Women, even if they're allowed to play the game, they can't get paid for it, or they certainly don't get the same amount of pay. Let's say that 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 men do, and that's a huge Correct. issue. Right. So, uh, what was yes. the turning point? What you know? What what was the turning point for you? Because eventually, you are playing football, professional football. You own your own team. Um, how did that happen? Well, um, you know, I played everything I, I could uh, when I went to college at Florida State. They didn't have football clearly for for girls, but they did have um, a flag group an intramural flag group, which I greatly enjoyed. And they had rugby. And I played rugby because there was no football. And although I really love rugby, it was never the sport that I loved. Um, but I just kept gravitating, gravitating towards um, the flag football. When I moved to New York, I found a flag group. And um, I just happened to be on this team that won uh, everything. Um, we, we won, there was a national tournament down in Key West, and from there, this tackle league started up, and they invited the Sharks to um, to join. And so, no one, you know, we were all these swaggering New Yorkers who thought, well, certainly someone's going to pick us up, but no one did. So, at the last minute, I took money out of my 401k and brought, bought the franchise um, never intending to own anything, you know, until this came up. And uh, as it turns out, I owned them for uh, 20 seasons, and uh, we're the longest operating and winningest football team in the world, actually. So you've got guts. <laughs> and I guess the question is how, where did that come from? Because you, I mean, I... I never necessarily. I never wanted to play football, but I sort of, you know, gravitated towards the, what they told me I could do. I could play tennis. I could swim. I could ski, and that that was about it. Um, right. Those are great sports, but there were not team sports weren't necessarily an option, and partic- particularly football. So I, I go back to like if you're a mother with a daughter, or a father with a daughter, or who you know taking care, and and the daughter wants to do something like you did. How do you over, you know, how do you sort of overcome all of those obstacles? Both they're formidable, uh, you know, psychologically, realistically, financially, all of that. Well, I think um, a good dose of stubbornness is, is your best bet. <laughs> yeah. um, I was very bullheaded. I also, it wasn't like I, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't like I stood up and said, you know, don't tell me no, I'm going to do it anyway. I just, in my head, would try to find a way to make it happen. Um, so it was an inner struggle and also very strategic. It was like, okay, well, if I do this, then maybe I can do this. And so it was, um, it was just perseverance, just perseverance and finding a way to be able to do what I wanted. Um, so and benchmarks, any benchmarks that, you know, as you say, one thing builds on the next, there's a certain, you 
accomplish one thing well, and that yeah. Right. Well, I guess um, of course the flag the flag teams um, at college. You know, I I played um, <clears throat> in college and then. Um, just seeking out when I moved to New York, I was just you know desperately seeking some sort of football uh, camaraderie, and it took a while to find the team. But once I did, you find this whole underworld movement. I mean, people have never heard of the New York Sharks and women's pro football, um, but there's a huge underground movement. There's over 80 teams across America. It's becoming quite popular in Europe. Once you strive to find, you know, water seeks its own level. So once you find your level, there's a lot of people out there. And I think that's why it's become so popular, because once they find that that it's there, um, they really flock to it. I mean, people who want women who wanted to play so badly but never had a way. I had the first few years, I had people in their 50s coming out and saying, look, I know I'm I'm too old to play this game, but I just want the opportunity to do what I never was given. And um, so, you know, it, it's it's people just seeking seeking their passion. Um, I guess the benchmark uh, was when you know I was quite content to play flag, knowing that there was no tackle out there. And I guess the benchmark was when this opportunity came up to purchase the, the franchise and seeing that no one was going to do it and wanting my dream and my friend's dream to continue. And, um, you just, you just make it happen. So you made it happen. So I assume that, yeah, you wrote the book, I'm assuming so that you can help other young women make it happen as a role model. You would be the role model for that, right? Well, yes. And, you know, I made football happen for me because that was my passion. But really the voice in the book is telling everyone, um, men or women, but especially women and girls that, you know, you, you can do this, you know, don't listen to the naysayers. Um, just, you know, seek what you love, uh, follow your passion and there is a way to do it. It really can happen. And I think that's what the voice, you know, Having your voice heard, you know, so often women are just not heard. They're, uh, they're belittled. They're, um, you know, like I said, oh, aren't they cute? They want to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> something yes. like that. And it's, you really have to find a way to have your voice heard. I still struggle with it. Um, even today, you know, after everything with the football, it's still, um, I often know that I'm being overlooked or not heard or, or uh, you know, I don't, taken for granted, whatever the word is, simply because I am a woman. Uh, dismissed, and, I think, uh, is a good word. I, I think that... Dismissed, uh, thank you. Yeah, there it dismissed. is. Dismissed. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even... Yes. Given everything that you've accomplished, and and in the obviously in the sports world and football, but then also as I read in the beginning, your bio, you VP at, at at Time Warner. How that that's another huge accomplishment for a woman. Well, um, yes, thank you. I had kind of um, put sports on the back burner when I wasn't going to be a Miami Dolphin star, <laughs> and when I so when I moved to New York, I focused on art. And um, went to Pratt Institute and became vice president, creative director 
at Warner Vision Entertainment, which is a division of um, Atlantic Records. And um, I loved it. I loved that job. I think the arts are maybe, or the, the commercial art anyway, is maybe a step better than uh, other uh, other. Um, um, I'm trying to say. Um, it's not quite as bad as sports in terms of chauvinism and the glass ceiling. Um, it really is just a tad better, not all the way. So I did not experience um, the no as often as I did in the sports world. Yeah, that's and not that was surprising. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I also... Um, know that you're you're the founder of the Fins Up. What it, tell us about that? What is that? Well, the Fins Up Foundation for Female Athletics. Um, well, Fins Up for one is a term that denotes bravery, alertness, um, and the Fins Up Foundation is targeted uh, for at-risk teens. And the Shark players are the coaches, and we go around to different high schools. And do uh, we have speaking engagements? We put on sports camps for girls about football, and not only do they learn the game, but we really focus on self-esteem, health, um, communications, team uh, team bonding, all of these life skills that um, are so important. Not just in sports, but when you get into the corporate world, or if you start your own business, or anything like that. Uh, it's it's a lot of life skills that women are not automatically taught, maybe as much as the boys. Yeah. I think that's true, and I think most uh, mental health professionals would agree with you that uh, in sports, for instance, I mean, that really does help to build up your self-esteem. It empowers you, all of those good kinds of things right. that women haven't had the same access to, which is, I, I think, what you're talking about what about sports which kind of leads me into this question like what about women's sports today all around Um, not necessarily just football but just in general what is your perspective on women's sports today well um we've come a long way i think there's still a very long way to go um you know, I'm pleased that now tennis is, is pretty equal in terms of pay, um, and most people would rather watch Serena than, than anyone else, which is fantastic. Um, the soccer team that just won, they got a lot of coverage. You know, however, they're still fighting for equal pay, which is crazy because they do generate more viewership than the men's. Um, but I believe really those two sports, uh, even basketball struggles, uh, and uh, you know, clearly football does, and other sports, I don't even think they're on the radar in terms of really, um, you know, garnering sponsorship, um, viewership. So we've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. Well, what was the impact of Title IX? Maybe you can explain that. Title IX was wonderful. That, that was uh, implemented back in 1972, um, has it helped? Absolutely. Uh, it was it was put into effect to have all the, for instance, in a college, if you had men's basketball, you had to have women's basketball or some, some sort of equivalent for what you offered the men. Maybe if you had 10 men's scholarships, you had to have 10 women's scholarships. Do I think it has, it has 
made an impact? Absolutely. Do I think it adheres to everything that is in the the title, um, in the verbiage? No. Um, but, uh, you know, it is there, it is in place, and it does make a difference. I just think we're going to have to get, um, you know, more sponsorships and viewership to make it equal. You know, I, I look at some of these young girls, uh, let's say in elementary school, um, I come from a family of all men, brothers, sons, and grandsons, you know, being the only woman in the family. And so my experience (laughs) was always with young, with boys, right? But I see some of these young mothers with, you know, these girls are dressed up in, you know, glittery kind of uh, princess outfits and, and pink. And it surprises me, I guess, particularly today. Yeah. So don't get reasons? me started, Catherine. Uh, I'm going to get you started. <laughs> that's why. Don't yeah. get me started. <laughs> I mean, and that's great if that's what the little girls want. That's wonderful. Certainly, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with it. However, I think girls, uh, some of these parents are forcing them into roles and choices that they might not automatically make. In other words, it's really not their choice because when you said if they really want to, but, you know, in first grade, second grade, whatever grade uh, in elementary school, I mean, you have a lot, one has as a parent, a lot of influence on them, what what, what you introduce yeah. them to. Yeah. And you have right. the option to say no. So it, and the parents, let's say, are in their 30s or 40s and, and, and the mothers too, they may have very high powered jobs, they're out in the, you know, they're... Right, uh, professionals. Yet they're sort of perpetuating this this sort of. Uh, I, I keep calling it. It's not the princess syndrome, but it, it's, it's something like that. You know, just this. It, it is yes. Um, it's the frilly, helpless female syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know what that is. Well, I, I can take a stab at that. This is just my own opinion. I think um, society has taught women. You know, there, there's the boys club and the boys back up each other and the boys are all, you know, together and um, have that camaraderie and that friendship. Whereas women are taught to guard their own territory. Um, You know, it's more of a competitive nature against each other than I think the men have. And consequently, um, you know, we don't help each other in business like we should, you know, it's, it's like, well, there's only, you know, one seat at the table for a woman and the rest are men. So this, you know, you're not coming into this territory because I've got the seat. Um, it kind of pits us against each other. And I think that's too bad. And I think that's going to have to change before we really get that, that uh, camaraderie amongst women. Yeah. Well, all the experience that you've had, and obviously if you're going to have a team, a successful team, either you own a successful team, you've also been on a successful team, there has to be a camaraderie to win the game, right? So how do you kind of, yes. what would you say? Would you take some of that and this is the kind of attitude we want our young girls to have? How do you do that? Well, you have to buy into it. Um, you have to be strong enough to, to go against the naysayers. You have to be strong enough to be an individual, not follow the pack. Um, you, I think it takes strong women to break that, that princess mold, so to speak. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's not easy. It's, 
it's very uh, you get um, ridiculed, you get poked fun at, you get called names. You, you know, I mean, I remember when I was going out trying to get sponsorship for my team. Um, no one really took me seriously, and I can hold my own in a conference room, a business room, like that. But more often than not, um, the men hit on me before the before they would even listen to my presentation on investing in the team, or you know. And um, I, it got to where I, I I just wrote a check. It was easier for me to write a check than go out and and endure what I went through to try to garner sponsorship for my team. In other and, words, that uh, would have been wasted statement. energy. It's enervating to do that. And you made the decision to just well, do it yourself. Yeah. I just did it myself. You know, it was a lot easier. It, 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 not only was it wasted energy, but it was demoralizing. You know, I wasn't there for a date. I wasn't there to be, you know, looked up and down like I'm, you know, a, a piece of meat, uh, meat. so to speak. I, you know, yeah. it just uh, it was demoralizing. I finally thought, no, I'd rather stay home and write a check. And, you know, then try to go out and do what most people do, which is get sponsorship for their teams. So who's been your best supporter along the way and now? Um, monetarily speaking? Both, um, I guess. I would say, I was, yes, monetarily, but I was also thinking more just in terms of, of supportive psychologically, emotionally. Um. Friends, I will say now, friends and family. Initially, family was not that supportive. Um, again, I'm from the South, so it was. They loved football, but maybe not women playing football. Yeah. That not for around, you. <laughs> yeah, certainly not for me. Um, but that did turn around. My family became my my biggest supporter, and they are even to this day. But friends were a great support. Um, I have two people that helped me run the teams from the whole time, uh, Dana Sprong and Crystal Turpin. Um, the people that supported us were friends and families of the players. Um, those, were, those are our biggest supporters. How do you keep from becoming resentful? I mean, I know you say you, you plow ahead, you just have to not pay attention to the naysayers and, and just do what you have to do. And, but still... You know, this. Uh, I, I would assume that there's just some. There has to be some resentment. And how do you sort of not feed on that? Because that doesn't help you, and well, it doesn't help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. And I think a lot of us get caught up in resenting those people who don't or didn't support us. Right. Well, it just the people who didn't support us support us just became a way of life. Really, you got used to it. You didn't expect. Um, the sponsorship. You didn't expect throngs of people trying to get in at the gate. Um, and honestly, Catherine, the joy that the team brought to me and the joy I got from watching the the lives that were changed, uh, the lives of the players through the years, um, it's it's so rewarding that if you can just push that other stuff to the side and keep going, that's what keeps you going. It's it's the people. I've met some of my best friends in the world. I've met the most wonderful, supportive parents. Um, my players I absolutely adore. So, you know, there's so much good in it. Um, so I think that's that's how you get over the uh, what could turn into festering anger. You know, it's just there's a lot of good. 
there's a lot of good focus on the good, um, maybe change some expectations for certain people and then let go of it. And as you say, yes. focus on, yeah, all the, your friends and the, the women and who are successful and what it's done for them and that you've been a part of that. I mean, that has to be a really great feeling that, that you've done all this for the past, what, 19 years? Uh, 20 seasons, 19 years, yes. Yes, and it's been the ride of my life. So what's next? We have three minutes. Tell me what, what's next for you. Well, well uh, I'm an artist, so um, you can find my artwork uh, and you can purchase of the book at andradouglasart.com. Um, I am going to be writing uh, a sequel to Black and Blue, and um, that's going to focus on the, the, the latter half of my life when, it, again, it's football is the vehicle, but it's the voice of everyone's experience where, you know, our athletic bodies are betraying us. Um, we're losing our, our parents. Um, our friends are aging, some of them getting ill and passing. It's, and yet at the end of all this, the Sharks, um, last season was our last season because I, I sold the team. And we put together the most magical season I have ever experienced. And so the book is all about you know, all of these changes in life and then this one magical act that just, like I said, it makes it all worthwhile. And you have the passion. I guess it, as I hear you, you know, listening to you, I think that's a key thing too, isn't it? Passion, you have to be passionate about what you do. Yes, and aren't we fortunate, those of us who have passions, because it, it's, um, it just makes life so much sweeter. Great, great talking to you. Today, thank you. I'm looking forward to the next book. Uh, but Andres, thank you, Catherine. Yeah, Black and Blue is is Black and Blue Love Sports and the Art of Empowerment. Andrew Douglas, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Catherine. Bye bye. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 